We hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. Experiencing God's grace and that grace empowering us to live lives where we give that grace to others is actually the only effective way to live the Christian life. It's actually the way Christ designed it to be. And so that we're doing a series over the next few weeks called Living Grace. What does it actually look like to receive God's grace, and what does it mean to live God's grace? And here's a key, key scripture that we're going to look at, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. In the NIV it says this, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. So it's by grace that we've been saved. So let's just anchor that in, let's just lock that one in. This is the unique message of the Christian faith. There's other religions, other belief systems, other worldviews don't hold this as a key premise to the whole way that we live our lives. This is the message that Christ came to give us, that it is by grace that we've been saved. Now, we'll unpack what that looks like in a minute, but let's just, you know, internalize that, that everything that God gives us is by his grace. And when we respond to that grace with faith, as the scripture says, we come into a relationship with God. The initiative, though, starts with God. We don't come up with this idea of going, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of see what God's like. I'll try and figure him out. I'll try and, you know, have a relationship with God. That's, that's not how it works. How it works is that God created you. He has a purpose for your life. And part of that purpose is to relate to you. And then he's done everything he could to make that relationship happen. And even in a practical sense, he is working on your heart constantly to draw you to into that relationship. Now, that's a grace, right? Because he didn't need to. God didn't need to have a relationship with us, but he chose to. So he reaches out to us, and we respond to that grace, to that loving initiative that God has, and we go, okay, yeah, God, I turn from the life that I'm living, I want to live for you. I want to live in a relationship with you. I want to respond to that grace with faith. I'll put my full confidence, I'll put my full trust in what you have done for me. Now, if that's the way we enter a relationship with God, it makes sense that that is also how we stay in a relationship with God. Everything that we receive from God for our salvation is a grace Everything that we need to live the Christian life is a grace. Do you agree with that? Are we cool? Are we cool with that? Jerry Bridges, in his book, Transforming Grace, it's in your notes, this quote, because this is a very powerful quote. It's very good. I couldn't have put it better myself. Jerry Bridges says this, Jesus paid it all. I mean all. He not only purchased your forgiveness of sins and your ticket to heaven, he purchased every blessing and every answer to prayer you will ever receive. Every one of them, no exceptions. 
If you don't do anything else this week but ponder on that, you'll come a long way towards understanding grace. That when Jesus died on the cross for you, when he paid the price of your sin for you, when he rose again to release God's life to you, that is your whole life, not just your salvation, but everything you'll ever receive from God, now and in eternity. That's what Jerry Bridges is saying. Let me switch this around in the negative, because you, you hear some things in the positive and you think, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds good, pretty good. Let me switch it around to the negative. Nothing gets you credit with God. Let me say that again. Nothing gets you credit with God from yourself. Okay. No amount of church attendance, and that's saying a lot coming from a pastor, isn't it? No amount of church attendance, Bible study, prayer, or good deeds gets you credit with God. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? All these things are beneficial for us. Now, let, let me reinforce that. All those are good things. They are good for us to grow closer to God. I am not disputing that. That is true. But none of them oblige God to do anything for us. God, we're already in credit with God. That's what grace is. We do those things. We, do, we come to church. We read our Bibles. We pray. We draw closer to God and worship. We do all of those things because we need to do them for ourselves. Absolutely. But we don't need to do them for God. Do you get that? That's grace. Because God's grace is already there for you. And this is quite a difficult concept for us to get our heads around because we live in a performance reward society where, look, I'll do this for you and you do this for me. That's kind of how it works, right? Or I do this amount of work for my employer. I get paid this amount of money at the end of the week. It's a, it's a performance reward system. And so we translate that to our relationship with God and we go, well, God, I've, I've done my reading this week. I've prayed lots this week. I've, I even went to Connect Group this week. So, hey, aren't I a good Christian? Now, are you going to bless me? Are you going to, you know, are you, is your favour towards me? And God's going, I'm already blessing you. My favour's already towards you, whether you do those things or not. That's the radical message of the Christian faith. And it's sometimes a little bit hard to get our heads around and we still operate, we keep defaulting back to this performance reward system rather than living grace. And I know that we do this because I did it. I I look back in my life and I realize that I I grew up in a Christian home and I, I picked up very quickly that you want to do the right thing by God. And, and that's good. There is nothing wrong with it. There's, I'm not, not, you know, not criticizing my upbringing. It was good. I, taught to, I was taught to respect God and know his, his rules, his laws, so to speak, and, and follow him and follow his ways. I value that. I appreciate that. But somewhere along the way, I internalized that, well, I've got to do this and this and this and this and this, and then God will be happy with it. The problem with that way of thinking is, How do you ever know you've done enough? And then it wasn't until later in my young adult years that I got this revelation, that I was trying to do things for God that he had already done for me. And that's the breakthrough moment for me when I realized 
ah, I'm actually not living in his grace. I'm actually not living the life that he has for me. I'm trying to earn a life that he's already gifted. It's like someone giving you a gift and say, here it is, and you go, you know, maybe they give you this really nice car, and you go, oh, that's a fantastic car. You park it in your garage, and then you go and try and earn the money to pay off the car. And the person's going, well, hey, have you used the car yet? And, and you go, well, no, I'm, I'm still trying to, you know, save up the $20,000 to pay you. And you go, well, no, it's a gift. And we're trying to earn the life that God has already given us. And I was trying to do the same thing. And then when I realized, oh, this is, this is a gift that I live, and it's, it's almost like I felt God's heart go, oh, finally, you got it. <laughs> and realizing that it's such a freedom and such a joy to live in his grace. Now, sure, we don't abuse that grace. Sure, we still live for God and all those things. But it comes from a grace base not a performance base. That's the way God created us to live in relationship with him. It's the way he created us to be empowered to give to others. And it's the way we relate to people around us as well, all by grace. Now, I have been in pastoral ministry now for about 25 years and helped a lot of people make this transition from performance-based thinking to grace-based thinking. And it's interesting as I've gone on that journey, there are, I, I kind of put people in three categories now. So see if you can kind of identify with, with one of these and see where you're at. There's, there's one group of people that I'm helping uh, get an understanding of this. And they've grown up in a home or they're in an environment where grace is the norm, where they're accepted for who they are. There's a freedom to make mistakes, and if they make mistakes, well, that's, that's, that's disappointing, but there's support there to overcome them. There's, grace has been modeled to them. And then when they hear a message like this, that God is good, God is there for them, God is drawing them to his life and his goodness, they go, well, that completely makes sense. Well, of course, yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, grace is a good thing. God is a good God. He, he pours out his grace to us. That's cool. They get it. Now, on this one, every parent here is now thinking, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, do I model grace? <laughs> Can I encourage you on this? It's not so much what you teach, but what you do. Children are very good observers of your behavior. And it's one thing to be in an environment where you teach grace or you, you get this podcast and you tell your teenager, hey, you've got to listen to this, this is really good. No, 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 it's not about what they're being taught, it's what they're observing. If you model grace, they'll get grace. Just passing around there. The next group of people, so you might be in that category. They are the easiest people to get this message. Like they just catch onto it real quick. Second group of people, a little bit harder, but they do get it. That group of people is they haven't seen grace. They haven't, maybe their life has been pretty tough. Maybe they, they aren't a Christian, they haven't had any exposure to Christians, but then they hear the message for the first time. Uh, I was listening to uh, a couple of YouTube clips from Stan Walker this week. Stan Walker's been in the news quite a bit. He's releasing a book, I think, and I think he's uh, releasing a few new songs at the moment. And, um, and he's just 
such a powerful story of his life where he came from such an abusive background, uh, somewhere where there was no love and there was no grace. And he heard the message of Christ that God really loves him and that God is there for him. And he responded to that grace with faith, as we saw before. And his, his heart was overwhelmed. And he, he says, I live my life and surrender to Christ now because how could I live any other way because of what Christ has done for me? That's kind of the second group of people that get grace because they see something that their heart has always wanted, but they know they're missing it. And when they hear it, they go, oh, there it is. And they get drawn into God's grace. The third group of people is the most difficult people to receive a message of grace. They are Christians, believe it or not. Christians who grow up in a performance environment. Sadly, they're in churches that have said, you must do this, this, and this, and this, otherwise God will not be pleased with you. And there might be some people that you're listening to this today and you're going, hmm, that might be me. Well, keep listening. There is hope. There is help. But in my experience as a pastor, it is a more difficult journey for those people who have received that sort of teaching because there's a, a reprogramming that has to happen. There are beliefs that have to be um, looked at and be seen for lies, not the truth. And they have to replace those lies with grace and what, what grace really is. And it's, it's, a, it's a harder journey for them to go on. But it's not impossible. And because God is such a gracious God, he brings them into incredible freedom if they are willing to go on that journey. In your notes, there's a table there. And I've put that there as uh, quite deliberately to contrast these two ways of thinking. People who have come from a very judgmental, uh, performance-based Christianity, it may not be all of these things, but in my observations, at least some of these things are present. Let's just go through that list. People that come from that kind of mindset usually think, "I'll, I'll try my best to be good. Whether I'll actually achieve it or not, I don't know, but I'm doing my best. God might do something for me if I obey him enough. God generally won't do things for me, but if I try hard hard enough, maybe he will. I'm afraid of God's judgment. There's this constant sense of condemnation hanging over their lives. There's this constant sense that God is out to get them. God is like a boss rather than a good father. And they don't feel worthy enough to receive a significant blessing from God. And actually, failure in this life and hell in the next are real possibilities if they mess up. Now, if you go through that list and look at it, there there is a certain biblical interpretation that you can put on the scriptures and try you can find some justification for that. I'm not saying that's impossible. However, the theme of God's grace is supersedes this by far. 
especially in the New Testament. And the message of God's grace in the gospel, at the heart of the gospel is this, we live in God's goodness and generosity. We wouldn't even be alive if God wasn't gracious towards us. My good actions come from the work of God in me. People who live in grace don't credit themselves with being amazing people. They credit with God's work in them. They know that it's all about God's grace. It's all about God's empowerment. They know God will forgive them if they sin. Yes, they've got to repent. Yes, they've got to confess their sin before God. All of that, that is true. But God's not going to withhold forgiveness. God wants to forgive them. God is their good father. And there is no limit to what they can receive from God. Why? Because it's not dependent on their actions. It's dependent on God's goodness, which is unlimited. If God's grace is unlimited, then his favor towards us is unlimited. Get that? Are we cool with that? I know this is uncomfortable territory for some, but let's just stay on the journey. And our eternal life is guaranteed. There is a security in God's grace. Now, some of you are going, well, I'm kind of a bit there and a bit there. Well, let's hope that we move you more towards the grace mindset um, over the next few weeks. Let's have a look at a parable that Jesus um, talked to his uh, disciples about in relation to this, contrasting these two ways of thinking, this performance and grace way of thinking. Because Jesus wanted his disciples to get this. And so he tells a parable, and I have only changed the wording of the figures to bring it up to um, a modern-day uh, parable. So a denarii is used in the, in the Bible. I'm, I'm calling it about $150 because that's kind of what a, a laborer might receive today. Right, Matthew 20, verse 1 says this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them $150 for the day, and he sent them to work in his vineyard. Actually, there'll be plenty of vineyard workers actually now looking for workers. <laughs> but about nine in the morning, he went out and he saw others standing in the marketplace. By the way, people started um, at this time, they started at six o'clock in the morning. So there's people that started at six, he goes out at nine and he finds some more. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five... Oh, sorry, hang on, I missed verse 4. This is important. He, he told the ones at 9, you also go work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went off. And then he went to the other two groups. About 5 in the afternoon. So this is, you know, people have worked for 11 hours. But he still goes out at 5 in the afternoon. He went out and he found still others standing around and he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go work in my vineyard. So no contract, just go work in my vineyard for one hour. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received 150 bucks. Now, just pause there for a minute. You've just worked for one hour, in a vineyard, not that hard of work, at the cool of the day, and you get 150 bucks. You're thinking, oh, this, is, this is sweet. I'll, I'll come and work for you anytime. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Okay, you mathematicians. 
If you've worked for 12 hours, what should they be getting? $1,800. Thank you, Lyndon. Well done. But each of them also received $150. Now you're feeling, oh, okay, I feel a bit ripped off here. When they received it, they began to grumble, as you would expect, against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only for one hour, and you have given them equal amount to as us who have borne the burden of work in the heat of the day. But he answered them, Am I not being fair to you, friend? Didn't you agree to work, performance and reward? Got it? You agreed to work for $150. Take your pay and go. If I want to give those who are hired last the same as I give you, don't I have the right to do what I want to do with my money? Or are you envious because I am generous? What's the point that Jesus is making? The point is this. The the landowner in the parable is a type of God. God supplies what is needed. And he supplies what is needed based on his goodness and his generosity not based on the work that we've done now if we want to take the you know performance reward system and go to God and say okay God let's do a deal why don't you just give me as much blessing or as much life from you in my life as I deserve God goes okay if that's the way you want it or do we go okay God I don't deserve anything I'll just give you my life and you give me whatever is fair. Which way do you want to go on this? Because there is no middle ground. It's either one way or the other. You either live completely in grace or you try and do it on your own. Now let's just imagine how that goes. There is a judgment day where we all stand before God on judgment day. And God says, okay, Phil Parks, (laughs) <laughs> why should I let you into heaven? And Phil's going to go, what's he going to think of at that moment? Is he going to add up, you know, well, I was a worship leader in St. Martin C3 for you. I did this, I did that, you know. As soon as he starts doing that, he's already lost because he's never going to be good enough. But if Phil and you and I and the rest of us all say, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy to enter your kingdom, I am only worthy based on what Christ has done for me. God goes, that's enough for me. That's grace. Do you get it? It's not based on your work. It's based on his grace. And the Apostle Paul spends a lot of his time in his letters explaining this very thing and laying it out very clearly for us that we have to shift from a judgment or performance mindset to a grace mindset. And he gives three really compelling reasons why. The first is in Romans 3 verse 10. Paul says this, There is no one righteous, not even one. So if you want to go down this track and go, okay, I'll earn my way to heaven. I'll earn everything that God has for me. Well, good luck on that one. Because even if you slip up once, you're lost. It's unachievable. No one other than Christ has ever done it in the history of humanity. So if you think you're better than everyone else, you know, knock yourself out. But that's not the message of the gospel. So Paul's argument here is 
don't go with the performance mindset. It's unachievable. Second thing he says in Galatians 2 verse 21, he says this, I do not set aside the grace of God. I do not set that aside. I hold on to it. Why? For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is a really powerful point. I want you to get this. If ever in your Christian life you're going, God, I want you to, be, I want you to give me your favor based on what I have done for you. You're turning around and you're looking at what Christ did for you on the cross and you're shunning it. You're saying, nah, not relying on that. wasn't good enough. Wow. I'm not prepared to do that. I'm prepared to simply put my full trust and hope in what Christ has done for me. If that, and those two points would be enough. That it's unachievable. That Christ died for nothing if it's not all by grace. Here's the third one, which nails it. I'm going to read from Galatians 3, 2 and 3, and it says this. So answer me this, Paul says. Did you receive the Holy Spirit, the life of God? Did, you, did the Spirit come to you as a reward for keeping all the Jewish laws or doing good works? No, you received him as a gift or read grace. Same thing. Because you believed in the Messiah. Your new life and the anointed one began with the Holy Spirit giving you new birth. Why then would you so foolishly turn from living in the Spirit by trying to finish it by your own works? What Paul is saying here, if if you're missing his point, he's saying this. He's saying you actually can't take hold of grace until you let go performance. If you're still holding on to some merit that you have or some way that you're going to achieve it, you actually can't take hold of grace. You actually have to let it go in order to take hold of this. And some of us were trying to hold both, and it just doesn't work. So let's bring this all together. How do you know if you're living in that kind of performance mindset? Let me clarify again, going back to that table. You feel condemned by God. You never quite feel good enough, or you never feel that you've done enough. Now, here's the other interesting one that you might help identify you. When other Christians talk about grace, or they talk about receiving God's love or experiencing God's love, you listen and you go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But here's the thing that I've observed pastorally. In your heart of hearts, you go, I actually don't know what they're talking about. Because here's the really sad truth, is that you haven't deeply internalized God's grace, God's love for you, and it hasn't become an experience for you because you're still hanging on to judgment or that performance judgment mindset and you haven't quite let that go to receive grace and so you hear people talk about it and you go oh yeah that's cool for them but it just doesn't make sense you just don't get it if that's you today I I want to pray for you we're going to pray in a moment but 
I want to share a picture that I had as I was preparing this message this week. Because as I got to this point, and God just gave me a bit of a picture of those who so want to receive God's love, but don't quite know how to make that transition. Gave me a picture of a prison cell. And in this cell, people have made it really comfortable. Like, so don't think of a, you know, grotty, you know, rat-infested cell. It's, it's, actually, it's actually quite pleasant. You know, there's a nice bed in there, there's a TV in there, there's a couch in there, you know, there's, there's you know, uh, fibre internet, you know, it's, it's, it's good, you know, it's, it's not so bad, you know, it's, it's, if you had to spend some time there in isolation, it wouldn't be the end of the world, you know, so, so that's, that's it, but you, and, and as comfortable as you have made it, you're still confined, you're still bound, bound in your thinking, restricted in your relationship with God, and Christ has come along, and he says, it's by grace, and he's actually unlocked the prison door and he's thrown it open. And he stood on the outside and he says, come on, come on out. And you go, no, nah, I'm good. This is, this is comfortable. And I get that. When, when you grow up in a tradition where here's the rules that you have to follow, there is a security and there is a comfort in knowing, well, if I just do the rules, then I'm good. And I, so, you know, we look at people that are trapped in cults like Glorivale or somewhere like that, and you think, well, how can, they, how can they not see that there is freedom on the outside? How can they not see that there is so much more? But there is a security, there's a comfort there, there's a, there's a, there's a pattern and a way of life there that's comfortable for them. And they don't know any different. Here is God's message to you today. There is so much more outside of the cell that you've created. There is so much more than the life or the framework that you've believed about God. There is so much more to the Christian faith than following a set of rules or trying to meet a certain standard. So how do, you, how do you get free of this? Well, there has to be a revelation. There has to be a revelation by the Holy Spirit of, the, of His grace. Now, it, it's not something that I can do, John T can do, or anyone praying for you can do. It's, it's, a, it, it's something in your heart where you have to say, God, I surrender all. I'm prepared to walk out of the cell and put my complete trust and confidence in what you did for me on the cross. I'm going to put my whole life is going to be put its trust in that. Put my faith in that. Right, coming right back to Ephesians 2 verse 8. It is by grace that we've been saved through faith. When we respond with faith and go, God, you have been so good for me. I receive your goodness. And I receive that that payment that you did for me is all that it will take for, the, for all my sin, for all the wrong that I've ever done, so that I can live in your grace and your freedom for the rest of my life. Here's the last question that I'm going to pose to you. If I've challenged you a bit and on whether you live in this performance mindset, whether you 
live under judgment rather than grace. And hey, if you live under grace at the moment, I know that you will be sitting here going, yes, preach it, this is so good, this is so true. If that's you today, celebrate it, that's fantastic. And then when you come across people that aren't living in grace, then help them with, with the knowledge, with the experience that you've received. But if you are not living in grace, here's my question for you. Think about your life with God. Think about how you relate to Him and all the conditions you put around that relationship. And ask yourself this question. Is your relationship with God dominated by freedom or fear? Let me pose you that question again. Think about your Christian life. Think about your relationship with God. Is it dominated by freedom or fear? If it's dominated by fear, oh, what will happen to me? What, what happens if I do this? What happens if I do that? You're on the performance side. You haven't quite got grace. But if it's dominated by freedom and joy and life, you're in grace. You've got it. Keep living it. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.